If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. So the sermon title is the question we're dealing with this morning. If United Methodists don't have set doctrines, how do I know what we believe? Some churches are confessional or doctrinal where they have a written set of beliefs by which you agree if you're going to be a part of that church or that denomination. Now, I love the way United Methodists do theology and To a large extent, I am a United Methodist because of the approach we take in terms of how we explore theological concepts and how we develop theological understanding and therefore doctrines and beliefs as United Methodists. We have what we call doctrinal standards, which are our historical theological formulations. They're recorded and kept alive generation to generation. We print these and publish these in what we call our United Methodist Book of Discipline. They come originally from the Church of England. You may remember John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was a priest in the Church of England. They had these articles of faith or articles of confession. Wesley was a priest. He began to have people coming to him asking for him to help them grow spiritually. As he worked with people, more and more came. The movement grew Finally, later in his life, he could see that they needed some more guidelines. Even though he fought against it his whole lifetime, he could see that this Methodist movement would more than likely turn into its own church separate from the Church of England. So he took the articles of religion that he had learned and by which he had been ordained and edited those a little bit, left a few out he thought not important for us as Methodists, and then passed on the ones he thought were vital to our experience as Christians. We still have those as our doctrinal standards in our book of discipline. But you, do, you are not required to use those as a confession when you join a United Methodist Church. So sometimes an argument can be heard that United Methodists do not know what they believe or that you can believe anything and be United Methodists. The series title for these sermons in June and July is, Does Anything Go? 
And as your pastor, I'm saying, no. You can't believe anything and be United Methodist. But we do enjoy greater freedom in terms of our ability to explore theological concepts and constructs. We're given more freedom to explore how God is at work in our lives and how we might articulate that. I want to read to you from the book of Discipline how it describes some of these ideas in terms of how we approach theology. While it is true that United Methodists are fixed upon certain religious affirmations grounded in the gospel and confirmed in their experience, they also recognize the right of Christians to disagree, to disagree on matters such as forms of worship, structures of church government, modes of baptism, or theological explorations. They believe, we believe, such differences do not break the bond of fellowship that ties Christians together in Jesus Christ. Wesley's familiar dictum was this, As to all opinions which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. Think and let think. We encourage, as United Methodists, for each and every one of us to think about our faith and to think about who God is and how God is alive in our lives. Are we connected with God or not? Do we understand the core of what human life is all about? We believe we find that in our faith. But as United Methodists, we're not told what we have to believe, but encouraged to think about what we will believe. Now, Wesley took this approach not because he didn't care about theology. He cared deeply about theology. He wrote a lot about it. He wrote more about grace and how we experience God throughout our lives than many theologians. But he had a couple of reasons why he took this approach, which is more open, that gives more freedom, that encourages all to engage deeply in this theological task. Two of the reasons here I want to point out. First, John Wesley pointed out that as humans, we are limited beings. We are limited. As Christians, we say God is unlimited, but that we are limited. He was a teacher of philosophy and logic. He worked from that and said if we are limited, then we're not going to know everything. And therefore, we're going to be wrong about some things. He said the problem is we don't know which of our opinions we're wrong about and which ones are the right ones. He said if we thought it was a wrong opinion, of course we would change it. So we believe that we are right, but we know in some places we are wrong. And so he said we have to approach this with a different attitude than superiority or one of saying I'm always right or what my belief is must be the right Christian belief. He said we do best when we approach theology and thinking about God with a heart of generosity and charity. That we do best when we come to this reflection and this enterprise if we come with patience. Again, our discipline speaks of this. It says such patience stems neither from indifference toward truth nor from an indulgent tolerance of error, but from an awareness that we know only in part. 
and that none of us is able to search the mysteries of God except by the Spirit of God. We proceed with our theological task, trusting that the Spirit will grant us wisdom to continue our journey with the whole people of God. In other words, we don't want to divide up the body of Christ just because we all don't have the same ideas about God or faith or how one should worship or how you should build a church or how you should govern the body of Christ. That we want to be unified as the body of Christ even though we know that we have some disagreements about how that works. The second foundational point Wesley made is that doctrine is less important than love of God and love of neighbor. Doctrine or what we believe is less important than love of God or love of neighbor. Again, in our book of discipline, as it discusses all these issues, I want to read you a few lines that are so helpful, I think. Beyond the essentials of vital religion, United Methodists respect the diversity of opinions held by conscientious persons of faith. Wesley followed a time-tested approach in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. And then these two points are discussed together in these sentences where it says the spirit of charity takes into consideration the limits of human understanding. To be ignorant of many things and to be mistaken in some, Wesley observed, is the necessary condition of humanity. The crucial matter in religion is steadfast love for God and neighbor empowered by the redeeming and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now you can hear this same theme of steadfast love of God and neighbor throughout the Scriptures, but particularly in our passages this morning. Remember, this passage comes from the same group we were discussing last month. It's the Last night that Jesus is with his closest friends and associates, his disciples. Last night he's with them in the flesh. There's this large block of teaching that John records. That's what we read from today. But remember that last sentence we read. Jesus says, I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. That's the goal that's why God is revealing God's self to us through Christ is so that we might know the love of God and share that love with others. But you can hear how Jesus prepares them to hear that back in verse 9 and 10. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Or this from verse 12 where we read, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's scores of passages in our scriptures we could have drawn from today 
that emphasize love and how important it is. And the goal of all this being to learn to love God and neighbor and how very difficult it is to love each and every person we encounter to embody this love of God we've come to know in all that we say and do and yet that's what the Bible says over and over God is working on with us in this life love is to be at the center of all we say and do that's how United Methodists start when they begin to think about theology. We lead with grace or with God's love. Now, John Wesley wrote sermons. He also had an active correspondence with a lot of people. Often he was discussing and arguing about doctrine or belief or faith. Lots of people criticizing him for what he was teaching the Methodist, and we have many of those letters. I want to read you a few lines from some of those where he is dealing with these very kinds of issues. In one letter, he wrote this. It is the glory of the people called Methodists that they condemn none for their opinions or modes of worship. They think and let think and insist upon nothing but faith working by love they insist upon nothing but faith working by love or on another occasion he wrote this what is religion then it is easy to answer if you consult the oracles of god by which he meant the scripture according to these it lies in one single point it is neither more or less than love it is love which is the fulfilling of the law the end of the commandment religion is the love of god and our neighbor that is every person under heaven so when the question arises about how we know what we should believe we do best when we remember that love is more important than any particular doctrine or belief. Wesley puts it strongly at one point when he says this, Orthodoxy, I say, or right opinion, is at best a very slender part of religion, if any part of it at all so as united methodists we want to remember and always keep that at the forefront we want to keep that at the center the love of god and love of neighbor loving one another is more important than any thought or idea we might disagree or argue about but we also have what we call the wesleyan quadrilateral it's the way Wesley used the resources at hand to come up with the beliefs he laid out before United Methodists. They're resources we can use as well. We begin with Scripture, and we say it is the source and the criteria for any Christian belief or practice. We add tradition, that is looking at what other Christians have said who have come before us, what their practices were, how they came to know God, what they believed. Then we add our own experience of God, what we've experienced in our own lives. 
And then we sift and sort and order all that through the use of reason. As United Methodists, we're encouraged to use our brain to engage deeply all that we have to think about who God is and how God is at work and not only how we can talk about it or write about it, but how we live it. What difference it makes in our own lives. Can we put all this together in such a way that it orders our very lives? So the four are scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. And so that's why we have Bible studies all the time. We want you to know what's in the scripture. We think all of us should know something about the tradition. We read some of the historic creeds. Like last month, we were using the Nicene Creed. It came out of one of the very early ecumenical councils, not because we necessarily agree with every phrase, but it's important to know what the early Christians thought. And our creeds are one of the great ways that those are summarized. It's interesting to know that Wesley looked at those early ecumenical councils and read a lot of the early church fathers as he was working on his own theological process. But he also brought in contemporary spiritual writings of his own time and used those. We know often in his journal and his letters, he talked about his own personal experience and the experience of others. We know that he was an Oxford scholar, a very bright man, used his mind to reason through all these things. Let me see if I can illustrate this a little bit before we finish. Last month, we were talking about the idea of the Trinity or God three in one, talking about the Holy Spirit. So if we were trying to do theology as United Methodists do it or to think about this more clearly, the first thing we would ask is, does the Bible, the Scripture say anything about God being present to us through the Holy Spirit. And of course, we would say, well, yes, it does. You can read about that in a variety of places. Then we would say, well, what about the tradition? Did anybody else write about this? Did anybody else write about an experience of God's presence with us, either through Christ or with the Holy Spirit? And again, we could say, well, yes, there's lots in the tradition that has come down to us from those before us that helps us think about this and understand this. And then we ask, how about our own experience? Have we experienced God? Do we know anybody who's experienced the presence of God through the Holy Spirit? And I would guess that all of us could say, well, yes, we have known someone, or oh, yes, I've had my own experience of God coming close, where I felt like God touched my life, or spoke to me, or prompted me, or helped me in one way or another. So we could share experiences of the Holy Spirit. And then we use reason to try to think about that. How can this be three in one? How would that be possible? And in that light, John Wesley used an image or a metaphor that's helpful. Wesley said, I'll tell you what, think about a dark room and then walk into the room with three candles burning. He said, what happens? All the light disperses into every corner of the room and all of a sudden it's all of one light, yet still three candles. And Wesley said, if you can explain that to me, I can explain to you God three in one. It's a way to use our brains to think about a difficult concept, to ask questions and discuss it. It's a way to use reason 
when we're thinking about scripture tradition and experience and trying to put all that together in such a way that it's ordered so it helps us lead our lives and helps lead us into the abundant life that god has promised us in christ i'm going to read to you one last portion out of the discipline about our theological task it says this our theological task is both critical and constructive it is critical in that we test various expressions of faith by asking are they true appropriate clear cogent credible are they based on love do they provide the church and its members with a witness that is faithful to the gospel as reflected in our living heritage and that is authentic and convincing in the light of human experience and the present state of human knowledge our theological task is constructive in that every generation must appropriate creatively the wisdom of the past and seek God in their midst in order to think afresh about God. Revelation, sin, redemption, worship, the church, freedom, justice, moral responsibility, and other significant theological concerns we are challenged as united methodist christians to all be theologians we value so much the people who devote their entire lives to doing theology and writing about that to help us experience god more powerfully but we do not leave it to scholars alone nor do we leave it to pastors oh we have gone to seminary we've spent some extra time studying this but we're not the last word on this either. As United Methodists, we say we do best when the whole body of Christ, when each and every one of us is engaged deeply in terms of what we believe and what difference that makes in how we live. We're each of us supposed to be theologians as people of faith, thinking deeply, drawing on these resources so that we know who we are and what we believe, but so that we can serve others and help others come to know of God's great love in Jesus Christ. For that is the goal, is to experience the love and to share it with others. It's a daunting task. It's an abstract discipline to try to think of something we say is unlimited, that is something beyond language, and yet that is the task at hand. But the good news is, the gospel promises that we do not do this alone, that God is with us, and that God leads us through this task, that God leads us as a people of God, as a body of Christ, into this. Jesus uses that image in this 15th chapter of John of a vine and branches, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and when you stay connected to me, everything works out the way God wants when you stay connected to me, you have the vital resources you need to discern the truth in love. Amen. And thanks be to God.